Our New Testament reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. And let's uh, bow before the Lord one more time in prayer today. Father, we thank you. We give you thanks for your most holy word today. We believe that it is the word of God and we pray for grace today to hear it not as the word of man, but as the very words of God. We pray that it would today be sharper than any two-edged sword and that it would pierce us, that it would know us, that it would search us and see if there be any wicked way in us that it would lead us in the way that is everlasting. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is Family Sunday, which means that we have the wee ones with us. And uh, I've tried, therefore, to make our reflection in the close of chapter one Uh, relatively short today, as I said before, a short sermon for short people. And uh, we'll return return to this passage again next week. We'll return to Paul's great prayer. Uh, I think it's one of the most beautiful and one of the most profound passages of the whole Bible. Uh, it's, It's right for us to savor it. It's right for us to chew the cud here. And uh, so we'll return to this passage next week. But today, I want to consider very briefly how Paul's prayer for the Christians at Ephesus might provoke us to more consistent and faithful obedience to the Lord. So let's begin then. Uh, it's very difficult in this, in this uh, uh, first chapter of Ephesians, as we read the whole thing, it's very difficult uh, not to notice the supreme importance of prayer in Paul's life. Paul has been rapturously describing the benefits and the reality of God's redemption in Christ. Chosen, he says, before the foundation of the world, redeemed from destruction, adopted as God's own sons and daughters, lavished with kindness and grace and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, you are sealed with the spirit of the living God, he says. And as he thinks on these things, And as Paul illustrates these things for the Ephesians, his heart moves effortlessly, and his heart moves naturally into this sphere and place of prayer. 
That is, theology for Paul leads to prayer. It doesn't lead to the salon where he can continue to speculate about the divine nature. It doesn't lead this doctrine to armchair debates where Paul can light his pipe and sit back in his easy chair and, and, and uh, preen his intellectual feathers. To imagine how very clever he is to think such high and lofty thoughts about God. That's not where this doctrine God. For Paul, this vaulting description of God's person, of God's work in our world, it isn't an end in itself. Rather, the end of Paul's thinking and the end of Paul's writing, the end of all this speaking is the prayer and the close communion that he shows us that we can have with our maker. In fact, Paul can't think about God without praying. Paul can't speak or write about God without his heart aching to get back into that secret place of the Most High, the place where his soul passes from time and space and enters into the very presence of God itself, the place that he knows where he is situated before the very throne of God. And Paul knows that there's no church activity, there's no being about the Father's business that shouldn't begin and be sustained with and end in this place of meaningful and deeper and deeper prayer. And I find this particularly convicting. How many people have lost their way? How many have just lost their way? And how many churches have lost their way, have becoming so very busy talking about God and have forgotten how to talk to God? We lose our way when theology leads more naturally to the tweet than it does to the supplication. We read something in a book or we read something in our Bibles and we say, oh, that's a juicy bit. That's a lovely bit. That's a lovely thought. Let me just tweet that to my four followers on Instagram or on Facebook or wherever it is. Rather than seeing that thought and being provoked in our hearts, I must get alone with my father. We lose our way when it's easier for us to talk about God than to talk to God and to quiet our souls before him. Talking to men for God is a great thing, writes the old Methodist preacher, but talking to God for men is greater still. There's a lot of shallow wordiness in this world and there is a lot of shallow wordiness in the church. But Paul knew differently. Paul knew in the words of the old poet, prayer is the floodgate of the deeper heart. And so Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, writes, he says, uttering God's gospel is priceless. Uttering God's gospel is priceless, but prayerful silence before God far excels what we can say. And it's crucial for us today as a church to understand this about Paul. It's important that we gather close to Paul. It's critical that we learn from Paul and that we see Paul long in his prayers. It's crucial that we listen to Paul long in his prayers and that we allow the Holy Spirit to lift us into the presence of God, into that stream of holy groaning and a retreat from the noisy world into the quiet majesty of God's presence. 
And so today, uh, given that it's Family Sunday and given that it's Thanksgiving weekend, I, I want to point out briefly the first uh, of several important qualities about Paul's prayers. First of all, we learn today in Ephesians 1 that Paul's prayers are characterized by ceaseless thanksgiving. Verse 16, we read, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, it's easy for many of us to fall into the trap of approaching prayer primarily in terms of supplication, primarily in terms of request. We go to God and we bring our list of needs and wants. We bring him our families and our friends. We bring him all of our projects and we seek God's blessing upon our lives. And don't get me wrong, these things are right. It's good to recognize our poverty before God. It's right to spell out our need to God for his blessing. It's necessary to ask God in this life for daily bread, for deliverance from the devil, from evil and temptation, that we ask him daily for forgiveness for things that we did that we shouldn't have done, for things that we didn't do that we should have done. All these things are absolutely necessary, and if we don't do that at the very least, then we of all people are the worst kind of fools. How many terrible dangers, writes the old Puritan Thomas Goodwin, how many terrible dangers, how many pitfalls are waiting for you before you begin your day? And who are you to think, weak and fragile creature of time, that you can avoid any of these arrows that fly by day or any of these terrors that come by night in your own minuscule power? What folly then to begin your day without much prayer. It is right and it's needful. It is necessary to cry out to God, oh, how I need you. But as good and as right as it is to petition God to help us and to help those around us, the beginning of prayer, as Jesus teaches us, is hallowing the name of God. As we come into this place of prayer, we come and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it's recognizing the goodness of God. It's quieting our busy souls before his gracious character and allowing our hearts to move from fretful anxiety to the quiet place of adoration as we say with the psalmist, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And as we say that in our prayers, we make it a sustained note, and we become patient in our approach to God, we linger in this place of thanksgiving. We take our time there, as the psalmist does. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Oh Lord, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may go through them and give thanks to the Lord. You see, Paul not only begins his prayer with thanks, but we read that he doesn't stop giving thanks. Again, verse 16, ceaseless thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
Paul knows that prayer is the place where we can live out the very will of God for our lives. Prayer becomes the place where we can live out the very will of God for our lives. Even as he writes to the Thessalonians, what is God's will for you? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life in Christ Jesus. Lord, what's your plan for my life? What am I going to do, Lord? Where am I going to go? And the Lord says to us, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, always be giving thanks to God. And so at the start of every day and throughout the course of our day and as we lay our heads down on our pillows, it is God's will for us that we let a stream of gratitude rise to him as a fragrant offering. And so when our alarm clock rings its unwanted call in the morning and we take our our creaking body and we rip it off the hinges of our beds as we make our way to our secret place and as we push out all other distracting thoughts from our minds and hearts, we begin our day with the psalmist. Each and every day, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. He crowns me with steadfast love and mercy. Oh, bless the Lord, my soul. He satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. His steadfast love knows no end. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I do not stop giving thanks, says Paul. The Lord is good. He's been good to you, Paul says. He's been good to me. And in prayer, my gratitude to God finds a way of expressing itself. Why do Christians need to pray? Asks the Heidelberg Catechism. And the answer follows, because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires from each and every one of us. And so my brothers and sisters, I say to you today, this is God's will for your life, that you do not cease to give thanks to God. And as we give ourselves then to obedience to the Lord, he's not giving this to us today as an option. He's not saying you may do this or you may not do this. My will for you, do not cease to give thanks to me. As we obey, rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks to God always, as we plunge into this obedient life, then we enter into the deeper things. Then we enter into the deeper joys and we won't be those pickled and sour persons who are always grumbling and always complaining, always carping, always finding something to complain about, like those Israelites in the desert grumbling against Moses. But even with genuine pains, even with disappointments and afflictions of life, as Paul knew, crushed, he says, perplexed we are, 
struck down, even there, as we live near to God and our souls begin to breathe in his holy atmosphere, as we surrender in obedience to the call to live by constant thanksgiving for all that he has done and for all that the Lord is doing for you and for all that the Lord has promised to do for you as we give thanks for these things, then there's a sweetness about us. There's a perfume about us. There's a light and a fragrance about us that no one can deny. And we will find ourselves growing up into being the very sons and the very daughters of the Most High God. None of us, writes Spurgeon, can know how poor we are in comparison with what we might have been if only we had lived habitually nearer to God in prayer. And so my brothers and sisters, let us listen to Paul today. Let us be obedient to scripture and give ourselves afresh to God to live dedicated, grateful, constant, and unceasing prayerful lives to God. In the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.